0: I'm Phil C.
1: And I'm Lynn.
0: And together,
1: we're we're Roman Oz. Real interviews. With real people. On
0: location.
1: With a great mix of Aussie music. As
0: requested by the people we interview.
1: Follow us on Facebook.
0: Or check us out. AllAussieRadio.com.au
1: Now syndicated to
0: Backwater Country, 87.6 FM,
1: Tuesdays and Fridays at
0: 9pm. All interviews are live
1: and on location and
0: may vary in audio quality from segment to segment.
1: So Phil, what's on the show this week?
0: Oh well Lynn, you're going to be telling us all about things to do and see in the Tumut area.
1: That's right, and you're going to be chatting to Robert Richards at the Tumut Broom Factory. Right. And then Tim Martin at the Tuma River Brewing Company. a
0: Brewing Company? Yeah, that
1: sounds exciting. <laughs> sounds
0: like my sort of thing, a brewing company. All right, Lenmore, well, what do you reckon? On, On with,
1: with the, the show. show! One thing to do while in the Tumut area is visit the Blowering Dam. Now, this dam is famous as the site of the World Water Speed Records back in 1978. Flowering Dam is one of the biggest dams in New South Wales with a capacity of 1,628,000 megalitres, or three times the size of Sydney Harbour.
0: Now, hang on, hang on, Lynn. Three times the size of Sydney Harbour?
1: Ah, yes, that's correct, Phil.
0: Okay, all right. Continue.
1: Thank you. Flowering Dam stores water and it's released upstream for electricity generation in the Snowy Mountains hydroelectric scheme and releases water for the agriculture in the Murrumbidgee irrigation area. The large reservoir is popular for water sports and a recreation destination. Now, you can walk across the dam wall for spectacular valley and forest views north towards Tumut and views south to the rugged bushland of Kosciuszko National Park. The dam's rock wall is 747 metres long and 114 metres high. Wow. It's impressive. And there is also a walking track to Blowering Falls. The dam is 13 kilometres south of Tumut.
0: Well, Lynnie, I've got to say, all this talk of water has inspired me to play a song.
1: And who will that be, Phil?
0: That will be none other than <laughs> Richard Clapton.
1: Yes, and what's the song's title?
0: The song title?
1: What else would it be?
0: But Deep, Deep water. water. We'll be back with more Roman Oz
1: straight after
0: Deep Water.
2: Go down to the beach tonight. night. Five flies dancing in the promenade light. All oh, those rock and roll bands used to really swing. And i do the Foxtrot to Sweet Christine. Speaking to me with a gentle hand. Fly on down to Wonderland. deep. Road. I'm so drunk and the car won't go, my crazy eyes keep looking out to sea, Sunday drivers are cruising round, wish they'd all go back to town.
0: Richard Clapton, what a great song, Deep Water. Now, what are you going to tell us all about next, Lynn?
1: Well, we're going to take a visit to the Adelong Falls Goldmine Ruins. Now, you can walk around this state-listed heritage industrial site and it's only one and a half kilometres out of Adelong and 20 minutes from Tumut. Now the interpretive area has a comprehensive history of the site with a viewing platform that is also wheelchair friendly and is accessible from the lower car park. For those that won't want to walk, you can walk around the ruins taking about an hour. Now it's signposted along the route describing various items relating to the site. The stone ruins of the reefer ore crushing machine was built by Scotsmen and still remains for all to see from the viewing platform or wander through to interpret how reef ore was processed. This mill processed ore from mines along Adeline and the wider district and ceased operation back in 1914. The falls are popular in the warmer months and a great spot for walking and picnics. Now also while in Adelong, visit the Adelong Alive Museum. It tells the stories of Adelong and the district beginning with the gold rush period of 1852 through to present day. This small museum offers a variety of local displays and other exhibits which are rotated regularly. The museum is open weekends from 11 to 1 and is a gold coin donation.
0: Oh, and look, speaking about gold. And you know how much I love my Aussie music, Lynn.
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Can I play a song now called Gold Rush Country by Slim Dusty?
1: Yep, sounds perfect.
0: All right, listeners, well, stick around. Gold Rush Country, Slim Dusty, and we'll be back with more Roman Oz straight after that
3: gold rush country gold rush country recall the name and stake your claim in gold rush gold rush country in gold rush country nickel strike country scene of the golden mile or a bander and Coolgardie. Pioneers were hardy when gold strikes were in style Leonora to the north, Norsemen to the south And southern cross westward many a mile In gold rush country, nickel strike country Scene of the golden mile In this big wide western country There's a vein of gold fever going round there's a wealth of old-time stories, of gold rush and bygone glories. Of fortunes that were made, fortunes that were lost, and fortunes still to find. In gold rush country, nickel strike country, scene of the golden mile. this big white golden country surrounding old kalgooley town there's the old time pomp and glory you can be part of their story in fortunes that were made fortunes that were lost and fortunes still to find in gold rush country Nickel Strike Country, scene of the Golden Mile. Gold Rush Country, Gold Rush Country, recall the name and stake your claim in Gold Rush, Gold Rush Country. Recall the name and stake your claim in Gold Rush, Gold Rush Country. In Gold Rush, Gold Rush Country.
1: Ah, what a great song that was, Gold Rush by Slim Dusty. Now, I'm sure in his travels around Australia, he would have visited this town. Now, it's the township of Batlow on the edge of the Great Dividing Range, 775 metres above sea level. Now, Batlow is known for its apples with around 50 growers in the district supplying 1.6 million cases of apples or 10% of Australia's apple crop to the Australian market. Stop in and see some of the local farmers selling fresh produce at the gate. Now, human and Hovel were the first Europeans to explore the area back in 1824. Gold was then discovered back in 1854 and a small settlement called Reedy Creek was established. Now, the gold deposits were quickly exhausted but farmers found the area was better suited to a variety of crops. Reddy Creek was later renamed to Badlow in 1889.
0: Now, what sort of crops are we talking about here, Lynn?
1: Well, we're talking about fruit trees and timber. They became the main source of income, and in 1910, the town site was gazetted. In 1922, the first cool stores in New South Wales were constructed, and also the railway was built in Tumut, which helped the town's trade with Sydney and beyond and even supplying the troops with dehydrated fruit and vegetables during World War Two.
0: Now, that reminds me of a song, Lynn. Another song. How amazing is it that everything you tell us reminds me of a song?
1: Yes. And now, who are we playing?
0: Well, I think this one's probably not been played um, by anybody. I've not heard it before. It is a great song, though, and it is called... Goodbye, Aussie Farmer.
1: And who sings that?
0: Well, it is, of course, Tanya and her brother Greg Kernigan.
1: Ah, well, let's listen to it, Phil.
0: And we're going to bring it up right now, listeners, and straight after that, yes, we'll be back with more Roman Oz.
4: From beneath the dusty brow he peers out across forever. Puts a callous well-worn hand upon The wheel he knows so well As he fires that Fergie up he sends A silent prayer to heaven We both know he needs a little help God give him what you can Is it goodbye Aussie farmer The one who's done us proud He never looked for hands chance to work it out wish we had stood beside you when the chips were really down is it goodbye Aussie farmer do you pack it off to town
0: banks and politicians know so little of the land Though they calculate and talk if so they understand Watch the backbone of this country break While they smile and shake your hand Inherit what's left over Sell
5: the foreign hands. Is it goodbye as a farmer One who's done us Never look for handouts, just a chance to quirky it. Out. Wish we had stood beside you when the chips were really down. Is it goodbye, Aussie
0: father? Do you pack it off to town
3: say, what can I do, and does it matter anyhow, if what we eat and wear and use is not from Aussie ground, well it matters to our children, those left to carry on, wish all it took to make a change was hard work, rain and sun. Is it goodbye Aussie Farmer The one who's done us proud You never look a hand just a chance to work it out Wish we had stood beside you When the chips were really down Is it goodbye Aussie Farmer Is it goodbye Aussie Farmer Who's done us as You never look for a hand out, Just a chance to work it out
5: Wish we hadn't had stood beside you When the chips, chips were really down.
3: down Is it goodbye, Ozzy I mean, Farmer? Be packing all to tell
4: Don't say goodbye, Ozzy Farmer
3: God knows we need you now.
1: phil i think it's about time you told us some interesting information so how about i send you off to the Tumut broom factory for something different the broom factory yes and visit robert richards
0: all right lynn if that's what you'd like me to do i'll chuff on down to the Tumut broom factory and have a quick chat there with robert richards uh, welcome back, listeners. You're with Phil C on Roman Oz, and here we are at the Tumut Broom Factory, and I'm chatting with Robert Richards. How are you today, Robert? Yeah, I'm good, Phil.
6: Um, good to have you here.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, no fantastic, problem. Fantastic, fantastic. Tell us all about your business because these brooms—they're all handmade—and yep. they're the old-style millet broom. I call them a witch's broom. Tell yep. us a little bit about the brooms.
6: Well, they're a millet broom. Yep. People call them straw brooms or whatever, you know, but. Uh-huh. Um, I'd worked here 48 years ago and um, what we do today is still very similar to what we did 48 years ago. You know right, how yeah. they're all made, they're all made by hand. Uh-huh. The, the millet is wound around the handle. Right. Uh, there's different layers inside the broom. Yes. You start off putting uh, a center layer. You, there's several different types of brooms we make. We make a wool shed broom which we put a bit of cane in the center of it. Right. So it makes it a harder, stiffer broom. Yes, okay. But an all millet broom which is a traditional type broom that you can use indoor and out. Uh-huh. That's just all millet, right? So you first you start off putting the centre layer, right. which we call the guts layers, yes. And you put that on in three different parts, which which um, creates a flat side. Right. And then you um, put an inside hull. Hull mm. just a name given to the millet once it's taken off the stalk, because millet grows like um, corn; it grows on a tall stalk. Right. And once once the uh, the fibre has been taken off the stalk, they call it hull. Right. So. Okay. You um, put the inside hurl on, mm-hmm. which is put on in two halves. Right. It's put on backwards, then turned over. And then you've got to pound that back tight against the first layer and straighten it all out. And then you'd go to the last layer right. of hurl. OK. And um, yeah, it's um, it's one of those manual processes and takes a while to learn.
0: OK. And you, and who taught you? Did you start out as an apprentice like 40, 48 well,
6: years you ago? Wouldn't, you wouldn't call it an apprentice. Yep. Um, you started here, when I first left school at 14, um, we used to live up around the corner here and I used to come down here before I actually left school and do a few hours in the afternoon, you know, doing right. cutting strings and that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. And then when I left left school, I come down here and um, started off on the floor cutting strings, putting labels on, doing all those sort of things. Yep. And then if you were willing to have a go at learning to make a broom, yes. you'd um, be put on one of the machines because back then there was, four wooden machines, uh, driven off a belt system like the old shearing shed set up. Yes. And, um, you st- started off making a little ham whisk. Right. And you worked your way up making a bit bigger, a bit bigger broom yep. until you got to the proper growth. And then once you got used to use making the broom, you went on to piecework. I just like a shearer, you right. got paid for the quantity of brooms you made.
0: So how, how long does it take to make
6: a broom? One broom from start to finish? Oh, nowadays, um... Five or six minutes. Oh wow! Okay. Well, that, that's that's just putting the broom together. Okay. That's not stitching it up and all that sort right. of stuff. That's and prior to that too, there's a bit of work involved in the millet. Right. Nowadays we have to use um, imported millet. Okay. So where okay. does the millet come from? It comes from Mexico. Okay. Uh, we have to import it because um, years ago, in its heyday, around Chumet here, they grew 800 tonne or more a year. Wow. Okay. Which is approximately around 1,600 acres worth. <laughs> and millet, millet will grow, the millet they grew was a white Italian variety. Right. And it'll grow anything from uh, two metres to four metres tall.
0: So how do you harvest that? Do you cut it right off of the ground? Or no, it... no,
6: no. It's a very, very labour-intensive crop. Right, okay. So when it's ready to harvest, you've got to table it. Uh-huh. Which means you've got to walk backwards down the rows. Uh-huh. And you grab half a dozen stalks at a time. Yes. And push, bend it backwards at hip height. Yes. And push it down at the same time, so you're folding the stalk over at yep. the hip height. Right. And on your right hand side, you'd do that, then you'd fold, fold that to the left. Right. Then you'd grab the, the, the row of millet on the left hand side okay. and do the same, bend it over. Yes. And you'd fold that to the right. So you'd be crisscrossing it. Right. Walking backwards, so it forms a table where you're crossing the stalks okay, over. Okay, yes. Forms a table. Yep. So you'd have to go along the table as much as you were going to cut that day. And then you've got to walk along with a little hand knife. No bigger than a pocket knife, and you've got to individually cut each head off. Oh my goodness. So there's very yeah. labour
0: intensive. Very labour
6: intensive crop okay. harvest. And there's a lot okay. more working than that, too. Uh-huh. And then the broom factories would buy it off from the farmers by weight by bale. Right. And back when we were buying local millet, um, we'd have to grade it all. Okay. All and right. to give you an idea to grade a 100 kilo of bale of millet, take you all day. Right,
0: okay. And
6: you lose 20% of that in waste. Right, okay. okay. So when we order the imported millet, yes. we order it already graded. Right. So we, we do a bit to it, but we don't have to do that full process. The full process, okay. Yeah. Now what about the handles? The handles are all Australian? The handles are um, the ones we're using at the moment are um, Tasmanian ash or oak, whatever you want to call it. Right. Porter mouldings in Melbourne, down out. Uh-huh. They're uh, a nice handle. Right. Hardwood handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have looked at a few other different varieties of handles yes uh, we'd like to stick to the um, Australian made one yep but we we'll just have to see how the future goes with that I understand Yep.
0: I understand and what about the building marine it's, it's a very old it, it dates back to the 1800s is that right no it's,
6: no no no? no it's only I think it must have been second hand iron and that they put on after the war right because um, this was built this building's only ever been a broom factory. Right. And when, so and when did the broom factory open? 1946, I think it was. Okay, right. Um, it, um, all the farmers around here, most, most of them were dairy farmers, uh-huh. to subsidise their dairy and they grew millet. Right. And back in those days, there was up to 14 broom factories in Australia. Right, the, and the that, traditional millet broom factories, yeah, up to 14. 14 of uh-huh. them. Yep. And they'd send that millet on to Sydney. That right. They grew around here and it'd be auctioned off in Sydney. Okay. And the farmers thought instead of just growing millet and selling it, let's form a cop and, and make, make brooms rooms. as well. <laughs> and that's how this building got built, and they formed a the cop and it started off like that. And that was a run fairly strong for a lot of years. Yes. Like I said, um, when I worked here 48 years ago, there were still 10 people working here, and we used to do probably 400 brooms a day. Right. And there were still you know, up to 14 broom factories still going too. Wow!
0: So now there's only there's only you and your son in here at the moment. Do you, do you have other staff that, that yeah. work with you? Yeah,
6: yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey works. Um, he actually owns the building. Yep. He's away today, and and his son's working here too, which have been teaching him how to make a room. Right. Jeffrey does the stitching up of the brooms. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey owns the building. His father worked here as a broom maker when he was younger. Then he became the manager of the building of the factory, and um, when the cooperative failed, he bought it at auction and kept it going with a few people. But he passed away 12 years or more ago now. And so Geoffrey owns the building now, and we're just equal partners in the business.
0: And obviously, your son's going to take over in your footsteps? My son and his son, hopefully. Hopefully. And yep. we'll still be making millet brooms. Millet brooms, as right. In yep. another 100 years' time. Yep. Hopefully. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Richard. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Very interesting, very well, informative. Well, and, and I would recommend to anybody travelling through uh, Chimit to call in and see Richard and have a look, and quite welcome for people to just come in and have a look at how you manufacture the brooms. And Yep,
6: no problems, Phil.
0: All right, Robert. I said Richard. It's actually <laughs> Robert Richards, isn't it? I got it back to front. Yep. Fantastic. All right, Robert. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. Now, I'm going to play a song for you, but as all my listeners know, it's got to be Aussie. And you're an Aussie, so who's your favourite Aussie band? Oh...
6: Let's go uh, Akadaka
0: and Jailbreak. <laughs> Akadaka's Jailbreak. You don't look like the sort of man. He, he's a broom maker, <laughs> listeners, but he loves his Akadaka. Stick around for more Roman Oz straight after this.
7: There was a friend of mine on murder, and the judge's gavel fell. The jury found him guilty, gave him 16 years in hell. They were racing. Freedom! He was chasing.
0: Caravans have now moved to a brand new location. 11 Clayton Road, Heatherbrae is where you'll find them. Whether you're looking to sell, trade or upgrade, they'll look after you. Check out their range, Silver Valley, Hurricane, Paramount Road Trip or their flagship Option RV. They won't be beaten on price, so get yourself a knockout deal today. They're open six days a week. Why not give them a call on 02 4987 5288. Or check out their website, 7thstreetcaravans.com. Oh well, welcome back listeners, this is Full C and I'm still Roman Oz and today I'm with Tim Martin, Managing Director of Tumut
8: River Brewing Company. How are you today Tim? I'm good thanks mate, I'm excited to be here. i so am I. The only thing we forgot to do is get a couple of beers. Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: But I'll tell you what, we're going to try a few of your brews afterwards, okay? okay. I've got, I've okay. Got a, I've, sometimes I have to sing for my supper and today I'm going to have to uh, sing for a beer.
8: I just feel odd having a conversation with anybody without a beer in my hand these days. I've gotten so used to that being the, being the process. Oh, so if you good. see me
7: doing this... can't see it on the radio. Yeah.
8: If you see me doing this a little bit, though. You know that I think I'm hanging on to a beer. <laughs> It'll make me feel more comfortable. <laughs> Fantastic. Righto, Tim. Now, tell us a bit about
0: your brewing company. How long have you been doing it and why did you do it? How did it all start up?
8: Yeah, so that's... Obviously, this interview is not going to be the kind of interview we can go through the whole story. No. Um, so basically, the, the short version is uh, I saw a need for commercial tourism in China. Yes. So the interest in beer was actually an interest in developing commercial commercial tourism for the region and trying to do something that could sustain itself. The biggest, in my opinion, everything is my opinion, in this, so you'll have to bear with me on that. Uh-huh. Um, but in my opinion, the, one of the biggest issues that we had with commercial tourism efforts in the past have been that none of them were big enough to sustain themselves. So they yeah. do something lovely, but we didn't have the trade and they couldn't generate the trade, so they inevitably failed because they didn't have enough traffic. I was looking to do something large enough to be able to sustain itself and hopefully allow other smaller ventures to sort of feed off it Right. in, in the hopes of turning around Tumours Tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of idea you come up with when you're 27, because um, <laughs> I... you think you can change the world and everything's going to be, you can do anything you want. Yes. As a, as a 40 plus year old now, it's been a long, hard road and yeah. I often want to kick the 27 year old version of Tim. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're... We're pushing through it. So that's, that's kind of where the original inspiration came about. And then we came along, I came across the idea of a craft brewery. Right. So originally I had sort of no intention of to what it was going to be. I just knew I wanted to do something like that. Yes. And a craft brewery ticked all the boxes because it was something that was manufactured locally. It was craft and artisanal. It had the um, live music aspect. It had the hospitality component. So for me it gave a, it would build a great venue to allow us to provide all of those things. Um, mm-hmm. The thing I hadn't anticipated was falling in love with brewing. Right. So as part of the process, right. I had to learn how to brew beer, and I became absolutely obsessed with brewing beer. Yes. So when the original concept all fell in a heap and we had to walk away from it, I was then an addicted home brewer that then came full circle and opened a brewery anyway. Right. So it's sort of um, so I've managed to I've managed to meet my my first and second level goals uh-huh. within. The, the one project because they changed so dramatically between when I started and when I got here right so that was yeah like I said a, it's been a long time to get uh-huh. to this point and yeah. we started it's about eight years ago now we yes. started building the original brewery right um the original brewery was a 150 liter brew house so we were the smallest commercial microbrewery in the southern hemisphere right um and that cost about 60,000 to get open to basically produce beer legally yes um and that was just basically, effectively, savings and and desperate pleas for money from my wife and my parents and <laughs> so on and so forth.
0: But you do um, have a partner, don't you? Because it's, yep. the story well, is like two mates, one beer. So. Yeah.
8: So we um so we did. We wanted. We, we I originally ha- I did have a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a family and decided that this working eighty hours to hundred hours a week and being away every weekend and not being home of an evening and not getting paid was not the ideal situation for a young marriage and a a baby. Yes. So... He made the decision to spend more time at home so he's now got a very he's still got a small share in the brewery just in case two comes and buys us one day for 150 million dollars <laughs> okay. and he'll he'll get paid for all the year's effort he put in before he left right but um, but other than that it's, it's basically just me now so yeah he was he was here in the beginning and he helped me definitely with the construction and and providing a, an extra bit of motivation when things were tough right. so yeah so know it was good
0: so yeah we were talking earlier and you said you've got to get like tomorrow morning at four thirty AM, you've got to go to Canberra and start doing deliveries. Yes.
8: Yeah. So you yeah. really
0: are doing eighty hours a week, hundred yeah, hours. Yeah. Well, it's so you're going. Yeah,
8: I, I guess an, an average day for me. So in the, the, the theory for me is that I work Monday to Friday, Because right. um, I'm in management, let's call it in, yep. the, in the business. Uh-huh. Um, so I am the brewer as well. Uh, so usually, so the theory is I work from from six AM Monday to Friday till uh, six between six and ten PM, depending on. Just what's going on here? Because like, yeah. something this is an event I have to be here for it or whatever. Or uh, if the brew goes bad, then I'm often here later to try and make sure it comes out okay at the end. Right. Um, and then the catch is that two tour- I do the tours because I'm the person who knows the story. Right. I do the festivals and I do the farmers markets because I'm free. Yes. And those things don't often make money. Mm-hmm. Um, so often weekends I'm away as well. So okay. that and that's the challenge. So we, we try to. I try to only travel um, eight to ten months of the year, mm-hmm. so that I then have at least sort of ideally one weekend off a month if I can, <laughs> where I'm at home. And so that's kind of my that's my fantasy, and that's what I try to stick to. Well, okay. actually, the fantasy is every weekend; the reality is probably about one out of every month. Okay. Um, yeah, and then obviously there's one week, one day a week I travel. So that one day a week I, I get up at about about three thirty four o'clock, and then I hit the road, and if I'm lucky, I'm home before midnight. And that's my that's I do about twelve hundred kilometres on that trip. Wow! Uh, just go and do all the deliveries. Twelve hundred kilometres in one day. Yeah, all your deliveries. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just, it's just again, you can't you're not allowed to ask the staff to do that. No. But as a business owner, you're allowed to do whatever you want. Of course. So yeah. so you have to. So the practicality aspect of it is, I can't afford to be on the road more than one day. Yes. And nobody can do that run. Unless they're the owner, Because yes. of the sheer amount of hours you yeah, have to do, course, course. so we either send somebody away for two, or I just take one and get it done. So yeah. I'm pretty grumpy on Thursdays. So okay. It's not a good day to come and visit me. Wednesday is usually the better day. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesdays is my hard day. So yeah. where do you where do you deliver to? Other than other than Canberra, twelve hundred
0: kilometres. You, your beer must be sort of everywhere now.
8: Oh look, it's, it's getting that way. It's it's, it's funny because twelve hundred kilometres isn't as far as you think. By the time you do a whole loop, right. Um, so so. On that day, that day is Canberra, South Coast and Ski Fields. Okay. So I will I will go through Canberra down the South Coast and then up back through the Ski Fields and then mm-hmm. I'll get home. So I've got to time my venues right because the last venue I visit is about 10 o'clock. Right. So I've got to try and... So the first venues I visit are always Woolworths and um, and distributors and stuff. we have got warehouses that are open early. So mm-hmm. when I get to Canberra, they're already open. I drop off my stock to those guys. Then I work my way through the ones through the middle of the day and then I end up... At the end, with restaurants and bars that are open until late, and that way I can sort of meet each each area as I go through at the right time. Right. And that's had a bit of a challenge last week. I decided to shake my route up and went the other way, and I ended up having to stay in Canberra because by the time I got there, I missed half the uh, venues. You know what I mean? The new idea new. was to avoid the was to come the two-hour drive down the Hume rather than coming the two-hour drive through the kangaroos and brumbies. Mm-hmm. And um, the the catch was that I miscalculated my venues. So the venues okay. that I ended up at were closed, so I had to wait, so till, the next had to day. wait till the next day. So. so so now what about your beers? How many do
0: you actually make? How many different brews have you got?
8: So so we make twelve at any one time. Okay. So, so the idea, we have six, which is actually now seven, mm-hmm. and it's almost becoming eight, which is a problem because we keep getting carried away. But we have a minimum of six staples at the minute. Right. Um, and like I said, there's two extras there that seem to keep making their way in, even though they're not, they're not technically staples. Right. Uh, and then we brew our seasonals on top of that. So the idea is that out of our 24 taps, we always try to have 12 of our own. Yep. And then we have another 12 that are other local ciders, local independent breweries. You know, basically anything that ticks those boxes gets the opportunity to be on our wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's sort of how we try to keep it. I, like it's been, so it's been seven years of trade, eight years since we started building the brewery. Yeah. And so I've made hundreds of different beers now. Okay. It's gotten to the point now where it's just, it's getting a bit insane. Uh, but it's good fun. Like that's the, you know, making the hitchhikers every day, making the ginger ninja every day. That's, that's work. Yes. But like making, we just made one called Just Beer. Yes, and it's literally for the bloke who comes up and goes, "I just want a beer." Okay, you know, just give me a beer. And we go, "Well, this is Just Beer." Okay, and so that's, and so that was a, you know, that was a, basically a Kolsch style but I hadn't made a Kolsch before, which is you know quite a common beer. I just never made one, so right. I made one this time. So that's fun because it's a new recipe and yep. it's something different. And yep. I get to um, get to experiment a little bit. We just brought off a blood orange sour. That's another one which we've done a couple of times before with Dalgeti. It's they're one of our one of our friends in the brewing world mm-hmm. and they often work with us with some different beers. So we do a few different collaborations with them. Yes. And so they came down this time and we made that one again. That was great fun. Yeah. yeah. And so there's always oh, something new. Chubles.
0: Oh yeah, now tell us about your Tours
8: yeah yeah so so we do the tours the tours are booked on the website right um and so we just are like they're basically there's different price structures which i don't even remember what they are but the basic crux is there is a very basic tour that we do for groups which is just the actual tour itself yep um and then for individuals we do different levels of the tour one with just tasters one with tasters and a meal Um, but the tour itself is always the same and in that process you generally get me unless i'm just not able to be here because of other events like we were talking about earlier Yep. Um, but I'll then take you through the history of the brewery, like how we started and the trials and tribulations we went through to get here mm-hmm. um, and then we go through the brewing process itself okay. and how we make it and what ingredients we use and, and a lot of, I mean, if we've got a group of just a couple who are specifically together on their own tour then they can steer the thing however they like. Mm-hmm. I like, like quite often will get home brewers that will just book my time and then Will spend the whole time talking about his homebrew process, okay. how to get, you know, and then how to get a better hop utilization, yeah. or how to how to get rid of dissolved oxygen, or whatever it might be that he's trying to, or she is trying to work their way through. Okay. So, so that's yeah, it does. Do, it's obviously pretty flexible, but mm. the whole thing usually takes about an hour and a half. Okay, um, and it just goes through everything to do with us, and so hopefully they come out liking us more okay. rather than less.
3: We drink in moderation And we never, ever, ever get rolling drunk We drink at the town and country Where the atmosphere is great I love to have a beer with Duncan Cos Duncan's me mate, yeah I love to have a beer with Colin I love to have a beer with Colin. We drink in moderation And it doesn't really matter if he brings his doll We drink at the town and country where the atmosphere is great I love to have a beer with Colin Cos Colin's me mate mm. I love to have a beer with Kevin Oh, I love to have a beer with Kev We drink in moderation And he drives me home in his big old ship We drink at the town and country Where the atmosphere is great I love to have a beer with Kevin Cos Kevin's me mate I love to have a beer with Patrick I love to have a beer with Pat We drink in moderation And it wouldn't really matter if the beer was flat We drink at the town and country Where the atmosphere is great I love to have a beer with Patrick Cos Patrick's me mate Change key I love to have a beer with Robert I love to have a beer with Bob We drink in moderation Just one more and back on the job We drink at the town and country Where the atmosphere is great I love to have a beer with Robert Cos Robert's me mate I love to have a beer with Duncan Oh, I love to have a beer with Duncan We drink in moderation And we never, ever, ever get rolling drunk
1: Appropriate song, Phil, I want to have a beer with Duncan and that was a great chat you had with Tim at the brewery.
0: He's such a nice fella, isn't he? Really. Yes, he was. What a great guy. And you know what, speaking about great guys, I've kept one of the greatest ones to last because we didn't mention this right at the start of the program. No, but what's that? But I'm actually chatting to Richie. Do you know
1: Richie from the uh, Skydive Oz? No, I can't say I've met him. Ah, uh, well. And skydiving's not my thing.
0: No, I know. You're a bit, you're a bit frightened about heights <laughs> and so on and so forth. But Richie said that anybody from 12 to 90 oh. or even beyond... Can so jump out of a plane.
1: So I've got a chance then to it, still do it. <laughs> Richie's a professional. He's
0: he's the uh, chief instructor at Skydive Oz and he tells me that he can get anybody smiling and laughing and wanting to do it again. So mm. you know what? I'm going to chat with him right now.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: All right. Let's do it. All right, our listeners. Well, it's, this is Phil C and we're still roaming Oz and I have got Richie from Skydive Oz. How are you going today, Rich?
9: I'm going very good, Phil. Yourself?
0: Mate, I'm having a ball. I'm having a ball, and um, I want to find out all about your business because uh, a lot of my listeners, they could be interested in doing some skydiving in the not-too-distant future, and I understand that your company, Skydive Oz, or the company you work for, you're doing tours at the moment. You're going all around the country. Tell us a little bit about that.
9: Uh, yeah, that's correct. So, look, we're, we're based on the lower south coast of New South Wales. Um, So then pretty much how many times we're doing it this year? I think we've got, you know, between four to eight to ten towns that we're going out back. So it's just a good way for us to take skydiving to, you know, to people who can't get to the coast uh, where it's not as accessible. So Mm -hmm. we we load the plane up with instructors and pilots and packers and, and all that stuff. And, yeah, we set off in the plane to these regional towns. We park up for either a day or two, depending on the numbers that we have. And, yeah, we just like bringing skydiving to the to the regional towns and showing them what we're all about.
0: Unbelievable. So how long have you guys been operating like this?
9: Uh, the, the tours have been happening pretty much since the company started, I think about 12 or 13 years ago. The boss actually started his skydiving, uh, well, teaching people to actually uh, jump out at, I think, Moree. Uh-huh. uh and places like that, right? So then he ended up moving down to down to the coast here.
0: Okay. So when you say south coast, you, you're located sort of around the Batemans Bay area. Is that correct?
9: That's correct. Yeah. Okay. About, about half an hour south.
0: All righty. Now, tell us, like, I've never jumped out of a plane. I'm a, I'm a pretty courageous sort of a guy, and I've done ab sailing. Um, I've never bungee jumped because I think, why would I want to throw myself off the, off a cliff with a rubber band attached to my ankle? Skydiving's <laughs> been something I've always thought, you know, I was actually just discussing this with my partner the other day, and I said, yeah, I'd give skydiving a crack. You know, you've got, a, you got a, a professional that you're sort of attached to, and he's got a couple of parachutes, you've got a couple of parachutes. It's not like bungee jumping with a rubber band. Tied around your ankle what's it like well i mean what what are what are the people that have done it for the very first time do they sort of come down shaking and trembling or is it all just this one big incredible adrenaline rush where it's just like oh my god i can't wait to do that again what's what's it like
9: (laughs) uh most of the shaking and all that kind of stuff happens prior to them getting in the plane that's probably where they're the most nervous i'd find uh, uh-huh. it's the whole gearing up and them coming to terms with what they're doing. Once they actually hop in the plane and start to fly around and just see everything uh, from above, they gen- most of the time start to calm down. Right. Uh, they they definitely get a bit nervous again once that four minute comes and we start gearing them up and uh, running them through what they have to do. Yes. And then uh, honestly, yeah, for sure the uh, when that door opens, their eyes are like dinner plates <laughs> and uh, they're they're pretty awake. But uh, but once they're out, mate, they're uh, they're loving it. Uh, oh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's very very rare that you'll come down and and someone will say, I won't do that again. Okay. You know, they're just it's a unique experience. It's something that's very hard to to explain what it's like, right. you know, doing a couple of hundred k's an hour yes. Uh, from about four four k's up in the sky is a pretty unique thing to do. So, uh, it's, uh, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's a great feeling. Uh-huh. And, yeah, once they're out in free fall, they're, they're just more enjoying it um, than actually freaking out about it. Okay. So, okay. No, it's, it's a brilliant experience. It, it, I, was, I was hooked at the first hand, and that's for sure.
0: Really? So, you, now, Richie, you're, you're the yeah. chief instructor, is that correct?
9: Yeah, yes. You're
0: the yep. chief instructor, so how long have you been uh, skydiving?
9: Uh, I started in October 2009. Okay. Uh, same thing, I started doing a tandem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think it would lead me to this position. Yes. Funny uh, enough, here, here, here I am many years later. Wow. But I uh, just did the course after that. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I'm over 7,500 jumps later. Right. In, you know, 11, 11 or so years and... Yeah, it's been a, been a pretty cool journey. It's taken taken me all around the world, wow. uh, doing world competitions and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah it's been a it's been a pretty cool journey Fan- for sure.
0: Fantastic. So, what what would be I, uh, the youngest person that you've ever you personally have ever had as a tandem uh, diving person with you? The youngest that comes to mind?
9: Uh, the youngest the youngest I've taken is 12 years old.
0: Okay. And the and the oldest? Yep. What would be the oldest uh, season? I
9: think the oldest season. The eldest, most eldest I've taken would be about 90, 93 or ninety four.
0: Okay, so it's for all ages, yeah. from from twelve years to it is, ninety. It is for all
9: ages for sure. Absolutely, yeah, for it, sure. And I think yeah, some people over a hundred, over a hundred years old have jumped as well. So
0: my God, okay, okay. So <laughs> does, it, does it does it take a special kind? Have you got to have this real thrill seeking passion, or is it just something that pretty much anybody could do? Like from 12 uh, to it's, 90, it's a I mean, line. that's a huge, that's a huge <laughs> age range. I mean, I'm thinking, like I was talking to my partner about this just yesterday and I thought, you know, I could probably do this. And she looked at me with dinner plates in her eyes and said, "So you throw yourself out of a plane?" And I went, "Well, it's not like I'm going to throw myself out of a plane. I mean, I got a parachute. I'm with a professional. And we, we're strapped up together. It's you know, it's it's not like I'm just going to jump off a cliff with a rubber band around my ankle. Um, I think skydiving for me would be easier to do than bungee jumping, and it's 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 a lot higher it up is. there.
9: Well, I, I think it is for sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For sure. We've got more. We've got more time." Um, when you're doing bungee jumping, you've got to jump yourself. You're lower to the ground. Whereas mm. up at once you sort of get above the six, seven thousand feet mark, your eyes mm. right, can't tell the difference with the height. So they're just like, ah, oh, that's a long way. We'll, okay. we'll deal with it after. Okay. But um, and it's yeah, and we're kind of doing all the work as the instructor. Whereas bungee jumping, you know, you've got to jump yourself. But uh, yeah. but as the passenger, you are literally. Do a couple of things you've got to remember, and if you don't remember that, it's not too much of a bigger deal. Uh, As as the instructors that we have, uh, Mm -hmm. we we can deal with all those situations. It's pretty much just put a smile on your face and uh, and enjoy it.
0: Now I understand you also do because in some of your packages, I just I've had a look at your website. There's some of your packages you can do a you can do a jump, you can do a jump, you can have it like videoed or your your whole experience. Is that correct?
9: Yes, for sure. So yeah, we had some video. I think you can get photos or video, or video and photos. So uh-huh. that's where the instructor will have a handy cam yep. uh, glove on with a GoPro in it, yes. and we'll yeah do a series of clips or a series of. I think when we do photos, you'll get around three hundred photos wow. uh, to, from the start to the finish. Or uh-huh. at the end of it, you could have a nice edited video package to go to go with it as well. So now it's always memorable because most people on their first jump uh, tend to go oh. That was over quick. So to have, to have the video, to have the video there, it's nice to remind them there that uh, that it did that it did go a little bit longer in the free fall and all that kind of stuff. Because most people are like, oh, that felt like ten seconds. Yes. Uh, but no, it was probably maybe more like forty seconds up to a minute. So and I was the same as well. I was like, oh, that was over way too quick.
0: So from the time you actually jump out of the plane to the time you land on the ground, how long does it take? Because you said you were up like how how high are you up when you do this? What's the height?
9: Oh, so we'll go generally minimum of about 12,000 feet. It's uh-huh. obviously depending on weather factors and, uh, and some other things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anywhere between twelve to 14,000 feet. So with that, you're looking on an average between 50 seconds um, to a minute of free fall uh, around there. Yes. And then once the, we open the parachute, it's about 5,000 to 5,500 feet. Right. And then you have a nice leisurely three, uh, three to four minute parachute flight until, until we land. Wow,
0: okay. Fantastic. So, say so,
9: so, so, you know, four, four to five minutes. Four to five
0: minutes sounds like a lot of fun. I think I think it'd be I think it'd be an awesome yeah. time. Well, mate, this is this sounds fantastic. What's the best way for the listeners to find out where you're going to be? Obviously, your website, or, or, or how do they go about it in the various different regional countries? Yeah, so towns. our
9: web. Yeah, our, our website would be the best place to, to make contact, and that will have our contact details there. So that's just uh, Scott, I've... Uh, just look up Skydive Oz.
0: Yes. Okay.
9: Or and then, or you can even email us at fun at skydiveoz.com.au. dot
0: okay. and
9: you can just put some inquiries into where we're going where we're going to be and find out some more details. And uh, and go from them. Hopefully, all those listeners get involved with it. Cause, uh, you, you'll love it, I guarantee.
0: Sounds like you're going to have a ball, Richie. You, you've um, you know the idea of throwing yourself out of a plane with somebody else attached to you. You've been doing it a long time. You know what you're doing, and uh, you've been doing it overseas as well. So it it sounds like you you've picked a job that was definitely uh, you know designed for you, my friend
9: for sure. I like to think so as well. Good on you, Richie. Thank
0: you so much for your time, mate. And I hope a lot of my listeners, because as we said, listeners from 12 to into the 90s, and uh, these guys are highly professional. They know what they're doing, and you have no fear. You're just going to come back with lots of big smiles on your faces and tell all your friends, hey, I jumped out of a plane the other day with Richie. (laughs) Mate, thank you yeah, so yeah, much. That, that's
9: the plan for sure.
0: Buddy, I'm going to have to play a song for you now. What's your, what's your favourite Aussie band or song I can play for you for taking some time to chat with me today?
9: Oh, I'd have to say a good one that comes to mind would have to be In Excess Phil and uh, Mystify.
0: Great stuff. All right, listeners, we'll stick around for In excess's Mystify. All oh, and
5: Streets are blue. Almond Lux that chill divine. A soft silken moment goes on
2: forever.
5: And we're leaving broken hearts behind. You mystify me. missed five, Mr. five yeah.
0: If you missed any, check out our Facebook page, Spotify or romanoz.com.au.
1: Tune in next week for more Roman
0: Oz.